Warning, the Our Voice podcast contains explicit language and may not be suitable for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to United Not Silence, the Our Voice podcast. Um, I'm your host, Anthony Monterulo. I'm the head of video production here at Our Voice. I'm joined by the uh, Lennon to my McCartney, Adrian Higgins. Adrian, how you doing? Hey. Hey. Uh, the Ringo of the Our Voice organization, Sam Ronan, is not with us. He is uh, working, I think. Uh, we're joined by uh, the head of social media for the Our Voice organization, LaDonna Loki. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hey. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, you did. Oh, good. good. Cool. Low-key. <laughs> so that's an awesome name, by the way. Like, I, yeah. I, I always meant to tell you, but, like, that's such a, like, uh, like, like you're, like, like the villain in, like, a high-stakes poker movie with, like, the, I don't know, it's, like. <laughs> it's the fire god, the god of mischief, and then LaDonna <laughs> is actually LaDonna Harris, who is active in Native American and women's rights, so I just got loaded with my name. <laughs> It's awesome. All right, so uh, we've got a lot of stuff we want to cover today. Um, a little housekeeping guy out of the way first. Uh, you know, if you like what you've been hearing so far, please uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud if you're uh, not an iPhone user. And uh, share it around, because the more you share it around, the higher we get up in the iTunes charts and the more podcasting we can do for you. Uh, I mentioned it last week, but uh, if you want to interact with us, just uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow us uh, at Our Voice Podcast on Twitter. Uh, that's O U R V O I C E Podcast. Or you can email at us uh, email us at Our Voice Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, so you can send us your questions, comments, and we will try to read them out on the air. We did an interview with Ron Placone. Uh, you guys probably have seen him before. He's Jimmy Dore's co-host on the Jimmy Dore Show. Uh, he also is on TYT Nation. He's on Stephanie Miller's show on the Sirius XM uh, satellite radio. So you've seen Ron around. He's a super, super funny guy. Really nice. Uh, we talked to him for about 40 minutes about a whole range of topics from uh, you know the state of the Democratic Party to... Uh, what he thinks the future of the progressive movement is. Uh, we even talked a little bit about the mass YouTube demonetization that took place uh, a few weeks ago. So that's a super interesting interview. Uh, so stay tuned after the music for that. And after, you, uh, after we play the Ron interview, we're going to come back and talk about some uh, important news for the week. Oh, and uh, next week we're going to be interviewing... California's 12th district primary challenger to Nancy Pelosi, uh, Stephen Jaffe. Uh, so I talked to him uh, about a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, that's a great interview, went about 25 minutes. So that will be on next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe so you get that when it comes out every Saturday morning.
uh, stay tuned for our interview with Ron Placone. Joined on the podcast today by stand-up comedian and writer Ron Pacone. He's a regular on the Jimmy Dore Show and TYT Nation on the Young Turks Network. He's also a regular on the Stephanie Miller Show and has been featured on Sirius XM, TMZ, and Free Speech TV. Uh, Ron, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Ron, uh, you're a progressive, and... I start off pretty much all my interviews lately asking uh, the guests uh, this question. W- what would you say is wrong with the Democratic Party in a nutshell? Oh, boy. This will uh, <laughs> take up our entire time. Um, <laughs> I think that the Democratic Party is, is hanging on to some very old ideals that helped them win in the 90s. Um, that is not applicable anymore. Uh, this whole wave of uh, neoliberalism, this whole wave of trying to cater to the center-right demographic that I think is shrinking, um, and also, you know, the kind of conflict of interest that happens within the Democratic Party when you see people like Cory Booker uh, voting against a pre- prescription drug bill because of how much money they get from the pharmaceutical industry, um, and when you see these Democrats at the top refuse to say the word single payer, refuse to even say it uh, because their donors don't want that in this country. Uh, Meanwhile, um, with what's going on politically in our country and kind of the state of things, we're ready for another sharp turn. It's time for another FDR type movement. You know, the last time, with exception to the Bush years, the last time uh, Republican power mirrored this was, you know, in 1928 when the Great Depression happened. And then after that, we had FDR. So we're ready for another FDR-type movement. We're ready for a Green New Deal. Uh, it's time if history is going to repeat itself, which I think it, it, it will, and it, or it should at least. Um, and the Democrats are, at least the Democrats with the most power, are fighting that kicking and screaming. They're completely out of touch with their base, too. About 80% of Democrats favor Bernie Sanders' policies. They favor his platform. Yet, is that what the Democratic platform is? No, not at all. The two most popular politicians in the country, both progressives, by the way, are in the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Yet, not only are they not prominent in the party, they're stifled by their own party. Um, That's a party that has no vision, that has no concept of the future, and uh, doesn't even seem concerned with winning in a lot of ways. you know, and instead of giving us Keith Ellison, they gave us Tom Perez. Instead of, um, you know, I mean, we can, I mean, we could go on and on all day about mm-hmm. everything that was wrong with the Hillary Clinton campaign. So, I, I think the Democratic Party has completely lost touch with the average person. Um, I think that they're doing everything wrong strategically. Instead of focusing on what's going on with the Trump administration, instead of focusing on giving people a platform to believe in and rebuilding trust with the working class. Uh, they want to talk about Russia 24-7. So, I, I mean, I, I think pretty much every misstep you can make along the way the Democratic Party has made and continues to make. And it's, uh, it's very disturbing because, you know, in the long run, I, I think the two-party system is broken and needs to end. But in the short run, I know that's not something that happens tomorrow. 
I know that that's not going to help us in 2018. So, you know, we need to try to do some fixing from within um, as well as thinking long term. That's why, you know, and, and I've said it a, a lot that I favor an, an all of the above approach. You know, I, I mm-hmm. favor what Justice Democrats are doing. I favor what brand new Congress is doing. Uh, I also support what uh, Nick Rana and Draft Bernie is up to. Uh, you know, I, I think that all of the above is the only way we're going to get true progressive change in this country. And I think both approaches are important because, you know, you need to focus on the short term and the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign. I, I don't know if you saw her on Recode uh, yesterday or the day, maybe the day before, but apparently it was the DNC's fault now because they didn't give her enough support during her uh, election. She actually blamed mm-hmm. the DNC's tech people for, for not not having correct info and things of that nature. So, we can oh, so the- those, were the, those were the people that somehow didn't realize Wisconsin was on a map. All right. I, I knew somebody. <laughs> Somebody, somebody had the wrong atlas. I, I don't know who it was, but <laughs> it's it's just uh, a, it's amazing though because it's like <laughs> if there's any one person you should never bring up as Hillary Clinton as to why you lost, it would be the DNC because they're the only reason. I mean that she even made it to the general election, right? But and... is it at all surprising? I mean, she blamed feminists for crying out loud. <laughs> she blamed she blamed millennial feminists for mm-hmm. her loss. Um, and, you know, I mean, we could go on and on all day about the problems with her as a candidate. And, you know, the, the list is very long and, and keeps on going. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that there's so much Clinton hubris that, I mean, they have pointed the finger at everybody. Even Jake Tapper called her out for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jake Tapper called her out. Yeah, Hillary's taking some accountability. Well, except she's blaming everybody except for her. Um, you know, I mean, Jake Tapper called her out right on CNN. Um, so I wish she would just you know, be a grandma and, and just, you know, you have enough money. You don't need any more. Um, you're not helping the left. You're hurting the left. Um, you know, your cause onward together. I mean, I, I really don't like her, the fact that she has a group because one of the, one of the policy agendas of her group that she started that onward together, uh, which I think was uh, directed at the donors, but one of the, <laughs> one of the, um, one of the, things on their platform is that they're going to support the primaries for, you know, fellow Democrats and stuff like that. And they're going to support the election bids for fellow Democrats. So I think what we're going to see is this group is actually going to work against justice Democrats and brand new Congress. I I think that's, that's what we can look forward to. So, I mean, you know, that entire dynasty, and it's not just Hillary, it's everybody that's kind of in that camp. Mm -hmm. Um, They are sort of the, um, they're sort of the big uh, flat tire of the Democratic Party. I mean, I mean, there's people are abandoning the Democratic Party in droves. The Democratic Party is not connecting with young people. Um, more and more people are identifying as independents. And I mean, so many people in this country, and, and a lot of them for good reason, uh, didn't really feel like they had any option in November. They feel like the, you know, the Democratic Party has really abandoned them. Uh, and they have good reason to feel this way because they've been getting crushed for 30 years by neoliberal policies that Democrats have either been A, embracing, or B, uh, at the very least, passively accepting. Mm, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so we're seeing uh, kind of this unprecedented uprising from the progressive left in the wake of the 2016 election. W- what do you think the strategy should be going forward, and how do we overcome 
you know, the corporate Democrats that are standing in the way of progressive candidates. Because like you mentioned, Onward Together is going to be, quote, primary, you know, supporting primaries, but they're not going to be primarying Dianne Feinstein. They're going to be primarying Tulsi Gabbard and like the three or four good progressives we actually have in Congress. So how do we mm-hmm. overcome their their strategy? Because they seem to have the money on their side, the media on their side, pretty much every institutional advantage on their side. So what's what's the plan going forward, do you think? Well, I wish I had uh, I wish I had an overcompassing answer that I know would absolutely succeed, but unfortunately none of us do. Um, but you know, for me, uh, the, the best way I see it again is kind of that uh, all the above approach. I, I support, I think that, you know, again, Justice Democrats, brand new Congress. If, if any of your listeners aren't familiar with these organizations, I suggest checking them out. Um, I'm sure your listeners already are, but you know, just in case, um, uh, you know, they're trying to primary out a lot of corporate Democrats and, you know, uh, over on the Jimmy Dore show, we, uh, we have a good relationship with brand new Congress and justice Dems. So we get to interview a lot of their candidates and there are some very bright, uh, um, forward thinking, good progressives that are, you know, running in their districts. And, uh, these are people that I would be thrilled to cast a vote for tomorrow. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, you know, one thing. You really have to get involved on the local level. You have to get involved, um, you know, on, on, the, on the primary level, try to get some corporate Democrats out of there and really overtake the party. And it can be done. I mean, it has been done in the past. Look at what the Tea Party did uh, to the Republicans. It mm-hmm. can be done. Uh, there's going to be some growing pains associated with it, but it can be done. Now, uh, progressive movement is in no way anything like the Tea Party because we don't have billions of dollars from the Koch brothers backing us up. <laughs> but we do have the numbers and we do have the ideas. And there's a certain senator from Vermont that proved that ideas and the numbers can actually be a path to victory. Um, so, And then long-term thinking, uh, you know, obviously I, I favor getting money out of politics. I, I favor alternative voting methods. Uh, I favor breaking down the two-party system. I think, look, we have two major political parties in this country, pretty much. I mean, you know, I mean, we have other parties, yeah, but but there's two leading the herd. Uh, one of those parties, the Democratic Party, literally does not have a platform. Uh, you don't see that in other countries. You, you know, you look at the Labour Party's platform over, uh, you know, over in England and, and stuff like that. It's very clear what they stand for. And how they want to get there. You may or may not agree with every party, and of course you're not going to. That's why you make a choice. But when you have more than two parties, one party's not going to be able to get away with just having a bunch of pretty flowery verbiage and nice thoughts in their platform without any actual plans, um, because they're just never going to have a chance at winning. Nobody's going to get behind that. Um, so I think part of the reason when you when you only have A or B. Uh, you know, a political party can get away with literally not having a platform, as the Democrats have been for a while now. Uh, and that needs to go. I mean, they don't actually support the fight for 15. They have this vague, flowery language around it, like, oh, we want to eventually get to $15 an hour. Okay, well, I'm sure we also want to eventually go to Mars. That doesn't <laughs> mean it's a high priority. Um, so all these things, you know, and, and then, you know, you listen to Tom Perez speak. I think if you ask that guy what he had for breakfast in the morning, he would tell you that a turkey sandwich is his favorite lunch food. I, I mean, he can't answer a question directly, and and he has no actual platform ideas. And and so, you know, I, I think in the long run, you know, it, it is 
kind of vital that we end the two-party system in this country. And, you know, of course, that is that is down the road, but it is something that I think we will see in my lifetime. I, I do think that we will see money out of politics, which I, I think is the crucial first step um, in getting there. And when I say money out of politics, I don't just mean overturning Citizens United, so we're back to where we were in the early 2000s. I mean getting money out of politics completely. You know, everything is federally funded uh, or, you know, contributions from an individual only with, with very strict uh, regulations and limitations. Um, and I would love to see our election cycle be six weeks as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, four years. <laughs> like it is now. <laughs> like, like I, I would love to... Yeah. I would love to see it be kind of like <laughs> kind of like how they do it over in, you know, different European countries. Not saying those places are perfect. They're not. They have their own set of problems. Uh, and they have a lot of problems that are very similar to ours. But, um, you know, I think they do it a little bit better than we do. And again, that and that bleeds into a whole other issue uh, that I'm very passionate about, and that is reforming the media in this country. I mean, our, our corporate media structure is illegal in other places um, mm -hmm. and should be illegal here. Uh, we should not have a major media outlet that is funded by the same people that make bombs uh, or the same people that, uh, you know, manipulate uh, telecommunication services or, you know, the same people that have some bizarre right wing agenda. Um, you know, our, our media should be uh, more regulated than that. We, we shouldn't I mean, we shouldn't have basic conflict of interest 101 in all of our media structures. We used to have, uh, in my opinion, one of the coolest media structures in the world uh, prior to the 20th century. Uh, but we've gotten away from that because the, the playing field is not level and we've allowed this corporate takeover profit center of news and information in this country, um, which is why um, our news cycle is, is pretty much laughable. And when just having profit as your first motive alone is a conflict of interest that creates uh, very significant problems. You know, why why don't we get decent environmental news from the corporate media? Why were they pretty much silent on things like Dapple? Well, because if you turn on cable news, and it's not just Fox News, it's CNN, it's MSNBC, they're all doing the same shit. Uh, if you turn that on, every third commercial is going to be from the oil and gas company. Mm -hmm. Do you think the oil and gas company does that because they're, they're really getting the word out via, <laughs> via these, you, you know, you really think like, oh, they need some people to come out and volunteer. They're hurting in the bank, so they got to advertise on CNN. No, they do that so that CNN doesn't publish unfavorable stories about them. It's, it's, a, it's a give and take, you know, boys club. And, uh, and it's, it's a conflict of interest. Right. So, you know, we, we, we need... We need media reform in this country and, 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 you know, things like that, getting money out of politics, reforming the media. Um, and that's kind of ha happening on its own naturally because yeah. so many people are turning to stuff like the Young Turks or turning to podcasts or the Jimmy Dore show um, because they're thirsty for real news. <laughs> um, so many people are doing that and it's growing and growing. Uh, the average cable news viewer is, uh, I think for Fox News, it's about 72 years old. Uh, you know, I think for MSNBC, it's, uh, you know, the ripe young age of 61. So uh, <laughs> the model is dying off and young people are trusting it less and less. Yeah. Um, so I do think we're on the brink of something really great. But, you know, those things really need to take hold and become uh, become the mainstream uh, until we can expect true progressive change in this country.
Ron, are you trying to tell me that when Lockheed Martin advertises on CNN, they're not trying to sell uh, Scud missiles to civilians that they might have an <laughs> ulterior motive? Call me a radical, uh, you know, but. Uh... <laughs> um, oh, Adrian, you had a question you were mentioning? Yeah, so we have people like Ben Jealous running for governor in uh, Maryland, right? And we've got Stephen Jaffe running. Do you have mm-hmm. any, like, favorites, new progressives who are running? Ooh, okay. Um, well, I, I like Jaffe a good bit. I, I got to hear from him um, recently, uh, and I am a fan of, of his. Uh, there, man, there have been. I, I wish I would have known that in advance because, like, there is a nice list of um, of some really good uh, progressive Democrats in different districts uh, that we interviewed recently. There, there's this um, there's this woman in Bronx in the Bronx 14th district named Alexandria. I, I love how I can remember her district and her first name, only <laughs> but not her last name. Oh, something with an O, I think. Yes, yes. Ocasio, yes. maybe? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, she's great. Uh, she yeah. is uh, very intelligent um, and has some really good ideas. And she's, you know, she's a fighter. And I, I really, and I think she'll really connect with that demographic. I mean, she's, she's from the Bronx. She's been there her whole life. Uh, I think she's really great. There is a another person in St. Louis, um, uh, Bush is her Corey last Bush. name, actually. Corey Bush. So, you know, of course you remember that last name. No association with the <laughs> other dude, by the way. Um, she has a lot of ideas. And she's really confronting some issues uh, that that area in particular is um, – is in need of. She's addressing prison reform and police brutality and stuff like that. And we all know what happened in Ferguson a few years ago. That area needs somebody that has a connection with those issues that can really do something about it. So she's another one um, that I think is, um, that I'd really like to see um, win and I'd really like to see make a dent. Um, So those are two. And, And then, yeah, Jaffe, again, I think he's got a lot of great ideas. I think he's very intelligent. Um, to take on hmm. Pelosi, yeah, I th- I think he definitely needs a little bit of coaching, um, and that's not in by no means is that you know a jab at him or anything like that. I, I think anybody would need it because you're really going up against a tough establishment guard there. Um, but you know Nancy Pelosi herself can barely speak a sentence these days. <laughs> it's almost laughable, uh, and I feel bad because she might have something wrong with her, and, and so I'm not trying to like make fun of that because I, I mean I don't know how else you can have a job that involves speaking and be as inarticulate as she is at this point. Yeah. Um, but you know that also means it's time to step down, and if you're not, uh, you're really doing a disservice to the American people because you don't really care about the American people; you just care about your paycheck. So, um, but I, I'd love to see him, uh, obviously I'd love to see him beat her. Yeah, absolutely. I actually talked to him last night. I interviewed him and, uh, he's, he, it's fun. He's, he's great. He's like super nice, super smart. He has the grumpiest face imaginable, but he's like the nicest guy you'll ever talk to. It's, it's, it's really like a funny, uh, dichotomy when you talk to him. When any, like, he like collects birds. Could you hear his oh, birds? There was, a, there was like a raven behind him. It was the craziest thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. See, he's he's got to train some of those to like follow him around and land on his shoulder and stuff. That would that would inspire a lot of people, I think. If you could that train one be... to give one of his campaign speeches or something. That'd be pretty awesome. I think 
I think that's what he needs. He just needs to approach the podium with like ravens on his shoulder and like like maybe like like have some wolves <laughs> carry him in or something like that. I think that you know they're gonna be like we're gonna vote for the Game of Thrones guy. He looks cool, you know, and that'll be that'll be how he'll connect with the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, I I had Graham Elwood on last week and we talked a lot about this. Um, how do you think we can convince? Uh, Regular Democrats who don't maybe necessarily stay as informed as we do, how do we convince them that the party itself is corrupt? I mean, you know, a lot of them, they'll say they're progressive, but they have a blind spot when it comes to Obama or, you know, various other uh, political figures. But they don't – and it's not even that they're they're like a Hillary, you know, cultist. They just kind of don't know any better. So how do we kind of convince them of – uh, what is wrong with the party and why we need to reform it and why we're not just being, you know, purists or whatever they want to call us. Like, how do we convince them that they're that that we're actively fighting against a, a, a group of essentially Republicans within the within our own party? Well, we need to. I mean, first of all, there are some people that you're not going to convince. Yeah. I think that in the Democratic Party, there is a line and that line is based not upon political ideology. That line is based upon privilege. Uh, I think that there is the democratic elite, and you know, and I, I see a lot of that here in Los Angeles, uh, and I see a lot of that in uh, you know, various events that I've been to and stuff like that. There are members of the Democratic Party that maybe their intentions are good, um, but their main concern is just winning and, and just kind of being in that club. Um, and, you know, they're socially progressive, whatever. Uh, they don't really care if the 24-7 Russia uh, verbiage leads to a war because they would not be fighting that war. Their children would not be fighting that war. Uh, they don't really care if uh, single-payer health care would help more people than the Affordable Care Act would because health care has never been an issue for them directly. They just have some friends on the board of Planned Parenthood. They don't really care, uh, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. They don't really care about the $15 an hour minimum wage because they think the difference between small and, or excuse me, the difference between 12 and 15 isn't much because they've never had to live on either of those two things. So they don't see the difference between $12 an hour and $15 an hour when you're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. They don't know what that's like. Um, and, you know, I feel bad because I don't think those people have ill intentions, they just, they're completely disconnected. And they're the type of people that migrate to Hillary Clinton, that migrate to Tom Perez and think if you're dissenting from that, well, you're some purist, you're some extremist or something like that. No, you're, you're just connected to the status quo way more, or excuse me, not the status quo. You're, you're connected to the average person more than they are. And you're affected by these things more than they are. So those people, uh, you're simply not going to reach. So instead, you need to get the numbers on your side. And, and the people that go along with the Democratic establishment, you need to show them how they're going against their own interest. And going against your own interest does not mean you go over to the Republicans. Uh, it means that you get actual populism behind you. You know, I mean, Donald Trump ran on the idea of a Republican populist, which is an oxymoron, by the way, that that whole thing, the idea of populism and being a Republican, those two ideas conflict each other. You know, I, I mean, so, so a Republican pop, that is an oxymoron. It just is. 
Um, but people bought it. People bought the snake oil because they were being offered no oil from the other side. So I think actual populism would reach a lot of people. I, I think, you know, I mean, you have people at town halls in rural areas cheering for the idea of single-payer health care. That wasn't happening eight years ago, but it's happening now. So you need to show people how the country's ready for this type of change. Uh, the country is seeing through, you know, the demonized buzzwords that we used to have before, like socialized medicine and <laughs> government takeover. I mean, sure, th that stigma is still there. Um, but more and more people are seeing through it because they're realizing that, yes, we are the richest country in the world and healthcare should be guaranteed and people shouldn't go bankrupt when they break their arm. That's absolutely ridiculous that that happens in a country with the type of wealth like ours. Um, people are coming around to that. So I think if, if you show uh, some of the older democratic establishment that yes, we are ready for a sharp left turn and no, playing the centrist game isn't working anymore, I don't know how much more proof they need. I mean, if, if 2016 wasn't a wake-up call, I don't know what's going to be. But, you know, I, I think just hammering home that message and not, you know, when you bring up what happened in the past, you're not trying to, you know, be counterproductive or, or dwell on something that's in the past or, or, you know, like have sour grapes about Bernie Sanders or whatever. You're trying to say, let's learn from history so that we're not doomed to repeat it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, shifting gears a little bit, uh, uh, being a regular on Jimmy Dore's show, as well as helping produce the show, you see mm -hmm. and write the show, you see firsthand how, you, you saw firsthand, rather, how damaging the mass demonetization of progressive talk shows was uh, to independent journalists and content creators. Uh, what do you think was the reasoning that you, or what, what was the reasoning that YouTube gave for the demonetization, and what do you think the real reason is? And do you think that, <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that their efforts to fix the problem have gotten it back to where it was before the demonetization, or is it not even close? So, <laughs> there's people over at TYT that are way more on top of that uh, than I am. Um, when the whole thing happened, I mean, you know, I work for the Jimmy Dore Show. Like that is, you know, my employer is the Jimmy Dore Show. Uh, we are part of uh, TYT Network, um, but, you know, the Jimmy Dore show is my first priority. That's who I work for. That's who I report to. Mm. Um, so when everything went down, we just kind of sat down and we were like, okay, what do we do now? And let's work under the guise that, that things are never going to go back to normal. Hopefully they will, but let's work under the guise that they're not going to. What do we have to do to sustain this show? Because, you know, it's not just Jimmy. Uh, and staff, I mean, you know, we have a staff, we have, we have people that, you know, that that's their livelihood. Um, and we need the work that they do and they need to be able to survive because <laughs> we need them full time. So, um, you know, myself included. So we kind of sat down and, and, you know, a lot of the things that we had going in on our corner is that we have, um, a very dedicated and wonderful following, um, you know, that is, uh, uh, that are very bright people that are very uh, and they understand what's going on and they understand uh, they see value in the show beyond, Hey, this is a funny show that makes us laugh. They see value in this is important content. They're bringing us perspectives that are often overlooked by the corporate media that are pretty much always overlooked by the corporate media. And, yeah. and we have no conflict of interest. The journalists that we bring on the show are the ones that we want to bring on the show. 
Um, you know, the, the politicians that we bring on are the ones we want to bring on. Uh, you know, we have nobody twisting our arm to do one thing or another. It's, it's all our decisions. Um, and, you know, we're also, we're punching up. I mean, you know, we, we critique the corporate media and we get smeared because of it. I mean, the Washington Post smeared us recently. Um, so we kind of just sat down and, and thought, okay, what do we do moving forward? So, of course, we started a Patreon. Um, we focus a little more on the live shows now. And, you know, and uh, we also focus a little more on the podcast. I understand a lot of other, uh, you know, online content creators don't have the versatility that we do. Um, so I can't really speak to how they adjusted. But I, I just know that, you know, we were kind of fortunate that we have other ways of sustaining the show other than just YouTube. YouTube is, is still the big man on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, but we did have other avenues to explore um, you know, and there's some stones we haven't even tried to turn over yet as far as just, you know, keeping the show sustained. So that was pretty cool. And, and, and the outreach we had from our community was, you know, and, and, and when I say community, I mean, the people that listen to the show, the people that care about the show, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, there were people that just people, you know, even people saying, I want to volunteer. I, I want to give you a couple hours of my time, mm -hmm. um, to just, you know, help you with something that you need. Because I believe in what you're doing, I you know I can't afford to give you uh, a lot of money to help sustain the show. You know, um, it, it's just amazing. I mean, it was really amazing, uh, and continues to be. I mean, it, every day it just you know it it just I, it really is humbling, uh, and I'm very sincere when I say that. Um, getting back to your question that I've not really addressed yet, and I apologize. <laughs> no, no um, problem. <laughs> Um, when it all went down, the reason that YouTube gave was that they want to keep stuff advertiser friendly. And what was basically happening was, um, there would be, you know, say we make a video about Syria and Syria is in the title because it's a video reporting on Syria. Well, there's also, uh, people that may be affiliated with ISIS or something like that, that were making similar videos. Um, and those videos would get advertisers. So people were advertising with, uh, with terrorists basically. Um, and we're like, Hey, we, we kind of don't want to be advertising with people that are talking about beheading other people and stuff like that. Um, so YouTube just did this mass blanket, um, policy where videos that were deemed unadvertiser friendly were just demonetized and they did not see a difference between somebody talking about war because they're a news and politics channel and they're talking about what's going on in the world versus um, somebody that's making you know a video calling for the head of whoever uh, and stuff like that that's the reason YouTube gave now the skeptic in me is saying you guys are Silicon Valley tech geniuses. You mean to tell me that you couldn't have an exempt list where actual news and politics channels were immune from this? You said, hey, you know, we know the difference between a news and politics channel and, um, you know, some fringe, you know, terror hate group or something like that. We know the difference between those two things. We have an exempt list. Uh, you know, it blows my mind that they apparently were not able to do that. So, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there. Some people say, 
it has something to do with, you know, the whole YouTube TV thing. And they, they realize that, you know, they're going to be working with corporate cable news channels now. So, you know, since their biggest competitors are YouTube channels, YouTube should try to squash them. Uh, whether that's true or not, I can't say for sure. I, I don't have a big enough of a peek under the hood. Uh, all I know is, you know, revenue is not what it used to be. It has um, it has changed a little bit as far as I know. Of course, I, I don't really do the bookkeeping for the show, so I'm, I'm just kind of speculating here myself. But um, I know it has gotten a little bit better. I mean, because it was... You know, people that used to make decent livings all of a sudden were making literally a dollar a day. Yeah. Um, so, so <laughs> when I say marginally better, it's just like, yeah, it's not quite at that catastrophic level anymore. Uh, but it's still not what it was, and and a lot of these shows have really had to uh, figure something else out. So we operate under the guise that it's not coming back, and we need to adapt to keep the show sustainable. Um, and you know, so far we've done that and we have, we have nobody but our listeners and viewers to thank for it. Um, and that's great. And, uh, you know, I, I want to keep it that way. You know, why, why should we have anyone else to report to other than them? Um, so, so that's been cool. And, and yeah, as far as if, is there something more to the YouTube thing? I don't know. There's certainly reasons to be very skeptical. There's certainly reasons to think they probably could do more than they are. But, I mean, some of the reasons they might not want to do more than they are is because they don't have the financial incentive to do so. I mean, I know that a lot of the news and politics channels that are very successful on YouTube are, are good for YouTube. I mean, TYT is good for YouTube. Jimmy Dore Show is good for YouTube. Uh, you know, RT America is good for YouTube. The list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but they also have... Uh, you know, a lot of cat videos that make them a lot of money. So, <laughs> you know, it's tough to, you know, it's tough to un understand where the numbers are from their perspective. Um, and nor would I necessarily care to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why you got to support the Patreon, right? And watch the whole commercial. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we, well, that, we, that's another we thing. Wanted we wanted to we ask you, Ron. Um, not to change gears, but, you know, to kind of change subjects a little bit, we wanted to ask if you guys plan on doing a tour with the Jimmy Dore show or, um, you guys just going to stick to the LA area any plans to come to New York or anywhere else around the country? New York is definitely on the short list. I promise Great. you that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. We're on the, we're on the radio in New York. We have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of listeners and viewers in New York. Uh, we really want to get there. We are going to Chicago next month. We're doing a show at Zany's in Rosemont, Illinois. Um, and I, I was hoping we could do more, but, you know, Jimmy's kind of busy with the People Summit. Um, so we're going to be doing stuff there. But um, but we are going to be at Zany's in Rosemont, Illinois next month. Or, well, wait, it's the first. Never mind, this Pretty month. soon, yeah. Yeah, in like a week <laughs> yeah, or so. Yeah, pretty soon. Uh, and then we're going to be in San Francisco in July. So, yeah, we're definitely starting to do some road stuff. Um, and we do plan on doing more and more of it. We're actually, um, kind of going to be scaling back lightly, uh, on our LA shows for that sole reason. Um, and we might be doing some different stuff in LA, but, uh, you know, the live shows have been very great, uh, in LA They're they're a blast. They're a lot of fun and people are coming out. I mean, I mean, they sell out weeks in advance and we're doing two a month right now. 
um, and and people are really digging it. So yeah, I mean, we've thought we really need to um, you know explore what else we can do with this, and the obvious thing is to start taking it on the road. Uh, you know, Jimmy was a road comic. I was a road comic. So it's in our blood. And, um, you know, I mean, I, for one, am really hungry to do it. And I know Jimmy is, too. It's just a matter of we need to pull off a production. Um, you know, we are a mom-and-pop operation. So it doesn't seem realistic at this point that our tech would travel with us, which means, you know, we'd have to hire tech people in every city or have an arrangement made. So there's definitely some uh, logistical things that need to be worked out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some road stuff is definitely um, going to be in the future. And, and, yeah, New York, we can guarantee New York. We can't guarantee a whole lot at the moment. But, yeah, New York is definitely going to happen. Um, we're going to be going to the Pacific Northwest. That's on the short list. Um, but, really, I mean, I, I want to I really expand it domestically. And, and I really love the idea you know, we have we have a big following in the UK and stuff like that. I, I'd really love to get over there. I can't speak for Jimmy one way or the other at that point, but I mean, you know, like we've talked about it. It's like that would be great. Um, but I really want to make it happen at some point. We just have to kind of get our get our legs under us domestically first and, and get a nice little system going. And you know, Chicago and San Francisco, those are going to be tests to see how it goes. So right, those will go well. Yeah, that'll, that'll be awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about it, and um, and yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that you know, assuming those are those are good, that we you know we start planning some stuff in the fall and and what have you. Because yeah, I, I definitely, I really want to meet a lot of the people that support the show around the country, and I and, and I, I can definitely say that Jimmy and Steph do as well. So right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the short answer is yes. <laughs> we do plan on doing more stuff on the road. Awesome. Um, so yeah, you know, just in closing, where, uh, where can people find you, uh, on your social and all that stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at Ron Placone. It's just my name at Ron Placone. Uh, obviously you can check, catch me on the Jimmy Dore show over on YouTube. Um, I'm on the Stephanie Miller show Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, and just my website, ronplacone.com has not only my live dates with the Jimmy Dore show, but just my live dates as a standup. Um, and, uh, I actually do a music show once every six weeks too in LA where I just play, um, I just play all my favorite cover songs and tell goofy stories. Uh, so yeah, I mean, basically my website has all my performances, Twitter at Ron Placone, uh, YouTube, Jimmy Dore show, TYT nation, and then my own channel, which again, is just Ron Placone. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you for joining us, Ron. Been awesome. Super generous with your time. And, uh, we look to talk to you, uh, Look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're back. Uh, so, you know, one thing I actually uh, wanted to, I meant to mention in the intro is uh, we've been doing, our stories have been very uh, Democrat heavy on this show so far, right? So, like, right. Uh, I don't tend to talk about a lot of Trump shit because it's like you can make a whole show of that. And, you know, TYT lately has been making an entire show of that. I feel like if you want to hear about Trump, there's 6,000 other 
podcasts and news shows that you can go to. I mean, we all know that's that all the mainstream media talks about. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, all the main, yeah. mainstream, all the mainstream media talks about is Russia. But even like the oh uh, my god, I know the even even like the progressive oh, yeah. the progressive guys like TYT who I love. Uh, it's very Trump heavy. They're they're you know their their main yeah. show, the two hour show. It's so, the only unifier right now, though. That's the thing. Yeah, the right. progressive community, it's the one thing that people can agree on is not liking Trump. Yeah, so no, it, makes sense. It, it is true. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> but so that's why, you know, I don't I don't feel that we need to cover it because I feel like we, we, you know, everyone else does a good enough job of talking about that. Uh, if you want to hear about the health care bill, that's true. Well, no. So, yeah, you know, if you want to hear about, you know, Trump and Russia and all that, you can listen to Pod Save America. If you also want to hear conspicuous uh, absence of any kind of critiques of the Democrats, you can listen to Pod Save America. But um, so, yeah, no. So I, I really want to make a concerted effort to say that we're not going to really cover too much Trump stuff. I mean, I know that. So the Paris climate uh, thing happened and that's a massive story, but everyone else is covering that. So I'm sure you've heard plenty about that. Suffice to say, it's a fucking disaster. I mean, we're one of essentially two countries who's not in the deal. They say three, but Nicaragua's not in the deal because they're so awesomely green that they don't think the deal's nearly uh, stringent enough. And they're on their way to like 90% uh, green energy by 2020, which is amazing. <laughs> and, and then Syria, they're in a civil war. And then so. Syria is the only other country. So yeah. We really have no excuse. Us, us in Syria, we're, we're real great, you know. And, you know, I, I like, and, and I'm not, this is not to talk about the topic as like one of our prepared topics, but I hear a lot of people, I, I was arguing with somebody who was like, well, why do we, we pay more into the deal than anyone else does? Yeah, that's because we have 5% of the world's population, but we uh, put 15% of the CO, of the world's CO2 into the air. So yeah, we're going to pay more because we're one of the biggest polluters in the world. China pays a lot too. It is, it is getting so much press right now and yet we can't even pull out right away. I think yeah, they said well, something like 2018 or, you know, even 2020 20, potentially well, it, it until we can fully effect. get out of it. So what's all the fuss about? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, it's it's just so stupid, the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, didn't, distraction. I didn't expect Trump not to do shit like this. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so the reason I say that is because I want to, I, I do want to make a point to say that, um, it's not that we think the Democrats are worse than Trump. You know, obviously Trump is like the biggest piece of shit on the planet, but <laughs> everyone knows that. And that's the easy, you know, that's the easy target. We, we need to be pointing out, I, I, at least I feel that I need on, on this podcast to point out the, uh, things that the corporate Democrats are doing bad so that we can get rid of them and get actual progressives in there who can actually beat somebody like Trump. Uh, so yeah, that's basically, uh, what I wanted to bring up. Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about with you guys today is, uh, this really, really troubling story from the intercept, uh, about the, well, I'll just read you a headline. It's uh, leaked documents reveal counterterrorism tactics used at Standing Rock to defeat pipeline insurgencies. So this is a pretty insane uh, story, and I really recommend everyone read the entire story. It's super long. It's like 20, 30 pages long. Um, but I'm just going to give you the broad strokes of it because it's it's <laughs> kind of unbelievable. But when you look at the way that the, co the uh, cops treated the water protectors there, uh, you, you believe it. 
Uh, a shadowy international mercenary and security firm known as Tiger Swan targeted the movement opposed to the Dakota Access Pipeline with military-style counterterrorism measures, collaborating closely with police in at least five states, according to internal documents obtained by The Intercept. Uh, the documents provide the first detailed picture of how Tiger Swan, which originated as a U.S. military and State Department contractor helping to execute the global war on terror, worked at the behest of its client, Energy Transfer Partners, the company building the Dakota Access Pipeline, to respond to the indigenous-led movement that sought to stop the project. Uh, internal Tiger Swan Communications described the movement as, quote, an ideologically driven insurgency with a strong religious component and compared the anti-pipeline water protectors to jihadist fighters. One report dated February 27, 2017 states that since the movement, quote, generally followed the jihadist insurgency model while active, we can expect the individuals who fought for and supported it to follow a post-insurgency model after its collapse. So, you know, I don't know what that, I'm, I'm going to keep reading, but does, are they trying to imply that that the uh, water protectors were going to turn into like an ISIS, like an Islamic State-like group once the, <laughs> like, I don't even know what that, what, what does that mean? <laughs> I think they wanted everyone to believe that. I think that that's what they but needed like this, to say to justify the things that they were, you know, doing un- and, and going to do between, you know, um, following people with drones and oh, all of God. the other things that they did with water cannons and stuff. I feel like the narrative from the very beginning was painting protesters, peaceful protesters, as domestic terrorists. Yeah. And that was exactly how they were going to, you know, approach everyone involved. Yeah. So let me, uh, so drawing comparisons with post-Soviet Afghanistan, the report warns, quote, while we can expect to see con- the continued spread of the anti-DAPL diaspora, uh, aggressive intelligence preparation of the battlefield and active, <laughs> <laughs> this, is battlefield. Fucking, this is fucking sickening and psychotic that these people talk like this about peaceful natives uh aggressive intelligence uh, preparation of the battlefield and active coordination between intelligence and security elements are now a proven method of defeating pipeline insurgencies um more than a hundred internal documents leaked to the intercept by a tiger swan contractor uh as well as a set of over a thousand documents obtained via public records requests reveal that tiger swan spearheaded a multifaceted private security operation characterized by sweeping and invasive surveillance of protesters. Uh, As policing continues to be militarized and state legislatures around the country pass laws criminalizing protests, the fact that a private security firm uh, retained by a Fortune 500 oil and gas company coordinated its efforts with local, state, and federal enforcement to undermine the protest movement has profoundly anti-democratic implications. The leaked materials uh, not only highlight Tiger Swan's militaristic approach to protecting its clients' interests, but also the company's profit-driven imperative to portray the nonviolent water protector movement as unpredictable and menacing enough to justify the continued need for extraordinary security measures. Uh, Energy Transfer Partners has continued to retain Tiger Swan long after the uh, long after most of the anti-pipeline campers left North Dakota. And the most recent Tiger Swan reports emphasize that the threat of growing activism around other pri- uh, around other pipeline protests across the country. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> 
Jesus. know, when I saw this immediately, I thought about the story that ran not too long ago about Gloria Steinem having been a spy and having worked for the CIA. Yeah. And the way that they used to infiltrate movements like this, and, and there's no reason to think that that's not continuing. So it's not fully surprising. I think the part that becomes more surprising for me is the corporate aspect coordinating with law enforcement. That, to me, feels newer. Um, and then the fact that they continued to shadow these protesters or pictures of uh, alleged bugging devices and other things long that, after yeah. the protest had ended. It's, it's kind of horrifying. I mean, everything about this story is horrifying. I mean, we're, we're just literally letting private military firms operate as basically like, you know, an army serving a corporation on U.S. soil, like like right on, you know, public lands. It's unbelievable that, that we we've got... We should have listened to RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to warn us about this. <laughs> Is we can't even claim that this is entirely under Trump. You know, oh, no, of course not. This was mostly yeah. under Obama. I mean, this yeah, is just before him, and so that's you know even more that that regardless of who or which administration, that this this kind of activity continues. Well, this is just yeah. I, I mean, this is kind of just a continuation of the systematic corporatization and privatization of America. I mean, since the fucking eighties, since you know Saint Reagan started privatizing everything and moving to. <laughs> destroy social programs and break up unions and things like that we've slowly been privatizing areas of of the government and of the country that were public and i think the next logical step is that we're going to see more privatized policing and more privatized you know militarization of the police uh, I yeah, mean, you see that predictive stuff that they're talking about now all that predictive technology oh my god it's hard it's like minority report like i know <laughs> we don't listen to these movies speaking of other like yeah goofy uh sci-fi movies i mean these movies are like you know listen, you, you... robocop was a real warning i feel like for <laughs> like, seriously i'm dead serious about no, that I, yeah i mean honestly like you know we say that like, evil like, corporate culture i mean tell me that's not real you know, these movies are, like, goofy, but they actually do have some intelligence behind the, the message of them. I mean, clearly. Yeah. I was even watching, uh, you guys remember that show Dinosaurs? Like, in the 90s? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I was watching that the other day, and that, that show has, like, an insanely anti-corporate message. And I was, I'm like, I have no idea how they got away with putting this on ABC in a kid's show. But I guess back then you could just kind of get away with whatever. Because it was a kid show, I don't know. Well, no, yeah, I guess nobody was watching, but it was just like it's insane. But it's like really intelligently written. It's it's pretty awesome. It was puppets, wasn't it? Right? It was puppets. They're like uh, they kind of were like like the Ninja Turtles in the nineties. They were like in like people in big like rubber suits with faces that moved. It was probably horrifying to children, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that show. Uh, Me too. I love that show. It was like the funniest show. Um, Great. I remember the episode where they get high. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no, but talk yeah. about how it's going to ruin their like lo- their whole lives <laughs> anyway but, uh, but, you know, there. but funnily enough i mean like I, people i think have seen that this has been slowly happening since the 80s and it's just now that people are starting to wake up to it and i kind of worry that we've given corporations so many institutional advantages that it might be too late to stop like the the, the progress of this 
I don't know. I'm kind of looking at it from the other side. I'm thinking about, you know, Gloria Steinem got paid for all the stuff she was involved in, right? So to support essentially all of the causes and the feminist movement, she was being paid by the CIA. And I'm like, hey, anybody <laughs> want to pay me to support some social causes I believe in? I mean, how much how much information did they really get? I read some of these Tiger Swan reports. It seemed like something that any bystander could have said. It, it didn't really seem all that... Um, you know, detailed or specific. I don't know how, you know, deeply they were entrenched. There were, you know, some overviews of things that were happening, but a lot of the reports said, you know, nothing to really say. So, I mean, I think that's probably because there was nothing really there. I mean, I think they were looking for literally anything that they could use to crush this resistance to the pipeline. If they found one person who had like a sketchy background or like one person who was you know, smuggling weapons into the camp, they would have shut the whole thing down and they would have justified it by using that. But unfortunately for them, uh, everyone who showed up to Dapple was peaceful and wasn't bringing weapons and wasn't trying to incite violence. Uh, And they just brutalized them anyway because they were like, shit, we can't, you know, we can't plant anything on them. We can't smear them. We need to just, you know, we got to move them. We're going to, we got to put this pipeline in. We got to rush to do it because... God forbid we actually look at the uh, environmental impact of this pipeline. We got to make sure we get the oil flowing right away. And by the way, we I think we covered it a couple weeks ago. It's already fucking leaking. So it, it, <laughs> it's just yeah. But we let it happen. And like Obama, you know, yeah, right at the last minute as he was running out the door, was like, oh yeah, I'm uh, doing environmental impact statement. I guess. Uh, and of course Trump comes in, and you know, we, we all kind of erases f- it all. Well, yeah, and I think we all kind of figured, like, oh, well, that'll, you know, he ordered an environmental impact statement. Trump can't uh, reverse that, right? But it's clear, like... None I, of that mattered. And and Trump yeah. has financial interest in it. I think they talked about oh, that. Oh, yeah, he has, so. he, he's invested in, in Dakota Access Pipeline. But the thing is... He was going to let it go either way. Oh, I yeah, think, of course. You know? he, he doesn't he, give he a just, shit. I mean, look what, yeah, he look just what he did thinks- Paris. He thinks, you know, resources are infinite and that we're fi- finite in our energy. You know, he's got all these weird little beliefs. Well, he's a fucking lunatic. Yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> and he just, he be- I honestly think he just thinks stuff is infinite because that's how his life is. Yeah. Do you think he de- thinks any deeper than oil's going to run out? Probably not. He probably never even thought of that. Or he doesn't care because he's like yeah. an old man who just doesn't take, take care of take himself. Take. And he's like, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to make as much money as I can. Funnel it all to my, you know, fucking. My offspring. My yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be. They'll be dead by the time that the environment is, you know, bad enough to kill us all. So who cares, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. if he's truly successful, there'll be some Trump alive then, and he's fucking over future Trump. Yeah, Baron. <laughs> Baron, he's Baron's already Baron, exploiting okay. and acting like you know. Oh my God! Well, Baron saw the picture of Kathy Griffin, and it was hard. Oh my gosh! They used that what? boy. What? Why is your fucking eleven year old on Twitter? First of all, and if you and if you're lying, then you're a scumbag. But if you if you're not, then why is your eleven year old on Twitter? Um, and if he is, hasn't he heard much worse oh, things God, from yeah. her own damn mouth? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, daddy's mouth. Yeah, I know they make it such a big deal out of it. Who gives a shit? I, someone actually posted a really funny picture. They're like, "Oh yeah, everyone was super outraged about this, but not uh, by this picture." It was a picture of uh, of his two shithead sons holding up the uh, tiger yep. that they killed. Yeah. And there's yeah, there's like exactly. there's a bunch of pictures like that. And I'm like that to me is a lot more fucking horrifying than a fake 
Yeah, it was stupid. She probably shouldn't have done it. But, I mean, whatever, you know. I I still think, though, for her to lose her job at CNN over that, like, there are so many worse things she's done over the years that she probably should have lost her job for. (laughs) And then... She keeps trying to blow him. Exactly. She was wasted. So that's what she got fired from, her, like, fake blowing a gay guy and getting drunk? Like, guys, (laughs) you're asshole. She's not qualified anymore because she had the head... At all picture now, she's not qualified to get drunk anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's and they hired Lewandowski even after he'd assaulted a reporter. Yeah, so that's sure. fine. But so, she does something that's really kind of an, I don't know, artistic political statement. I yeah. mean, was it funny? No. But, you know, it didn't hurt anyone. It's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's ridiculous. Um, but, you know. But, yeah, I mean, back to the dabble thing. It's just, it just proves time and time again that, it doesn't matter how peaceful we are. It doesn't matter how much we have the facts on our side or the law on our side in terms of the environmental impact statement or the fact that the land itself was still uh, given to the uh, Standing Rock Sioux, you know, in a treaty, in, the, in an 1800s treaty. It, it doesn't fucking matter because if you have enough money, you can buy off the government, you can buy off the police, and you can do whatever you want. So, uh, you know, until we have major finance, you know, both campaign finance reform and police reform in this country, we're going to continue to just get brutalized whenever we try to stand up for what's right. Um, so I just want to, you know, I wanted to highlight that because I thought that was <laughs> absolutely insane, the way that they characterized the uh, protesters. Well, you know, it's all about who controls the narrative, right? And I remember being on Twitter, being on social media and seeing the advertisements um, that they put out trying to counter the narrative saying, mm. you know, that this land isn't owned and this is private land and, and all of the other things. And, you know, you can see it in the uh, article in The Intercept as well, that they were really actively trying to go against anyone that was using the hashtag uh, no DAPL, um, you know, with, a I guess, disinformation campaign. And every time I looked at it, it infuriated me, the lies that were in it. Um, but I'm sure that some people did fall for it. I'm sure that some people believed what they were saying. Yeah. Yeah, Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking millionaires. But you know There we go. We took a jab at Republicans. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm X G O P. But X, so you know. Yeah, we don't um, care about it. Yeah, cool. no, it's all good. We're, <laughs> we're 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 a crazy, you know, amalgamation of of a whole bunch of things. As long I think we the, the one thing we all agree on is that we all loathe corruption and can't stand when we're you know gaslighted constantly by the mainstream media <laughs> which Nancy is why Pelosi. I, yeah or yeah or the mainstream uh politicians in congress yeah so um you know i want to move on to the next story that i wanted to talk about um so there's a big you know brouhaha about the jared kushner trying to set up the uh back channel server or whatever the hell he was trying to do he's trying to set up a back channel of communications between the russians allegedly and him oh so now he's the cyber hacker huh (laughs) (laughs) well so the interesting thing and i should preface this by saying he should have never had this job in the first place you know this is it they had they had the skirt ethics laws to actually get him a job because you're not supposed to be able to hire you know there's nepotism laws to prevent this shit but right um but what does the law matter anymore? Really? Yeah, no. You know? Oh, so no, you know, law, law doesn't apply to that class of people. We all know this. No, and that you know, and then I want—I forgot to mention that last story, but that's something I did want to bring up. 
Trump, if Trump has showed us anything, is that if it's not in a completely enforceable, like by with jail time, like writing in law, it's meaningless. Like all these things yeah. that we used to consider, like you know, uh, tradition or just standard procedure, it doesn't mean shit if you can't literally go to jail for violating it. And even in some cases, if you can go to jail for violating I was it, say yeah. I mean, there are things right now that that they clearly could, and they're um, showing that they don't care about those laws because they feel like the GOP is going to continue to protect them at least until their agenda is enacted. So it's getting scary. So, so yeah. So I bring that up because um, so the Kushner thing blew up, and everyone was you know rightfully very concerned about it. Uh, and, you know, we've talked a lot about the Russia thing and how I I don't necessarily think it's what it's, you know, being made into. But I think there's definitely something there in terms of business corruption, like deals and what it, possibly money laundering or loans, whatever. You know, there's it's not nothing. But yeah, I also it's think all he in has, the financials. It's definitely in the financials. And I think he has financial ties with Saudi Arabia and, and Qatar and a lot of other countries that he's taken money from because he's a fucking buffoon who can't hold on to his money. <laughs> And he's gone bankrupt six times, and he keeps trying to stiff his creditors. So there's no way he hasn't asked for more money from all these outside countries because nobody in the U.S. would give him a dime. Um, but no, so it's I probably all the same people giving money to the Clinton Foundation. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, no, now now onward together. <laughs> yeah, onward together to more Please. fucking dark together. money. Ugh. Um, yeah, no, seriously. So, um. So everyone, you know, when the story came out, was saying, well, Jared Kushner should have his security clearances revoked, which he should have never had in the first place. <laughs> um, and there was, you know, there was a lot of chatter about that. And then, and, and the Democrats were pretty in unison about that. And even some Republicans were like, yeah, this is super sketchy. You shouldn't do that. Uh, one Democrat, however, was not ready to go there yet. Uh, our good friend Cory Booker, the honorable senator from New Jersey, was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not not in favor of uh, Jared Kushner losing his security clearance, and I thought that hmm, that's kind of weird. I thought he was like pretending to be super progressive. I wonder why he wouldn't want Jared Kushner's <laughs> security clearance revoked. Uh, well, I wonder why. Take a look at his contributions. Well, it turns out, yeah, it turns out uh, David Sroda, who's an awesome reporter, uh, did this little expose in the International Business Times. Uh, Cory Booker and Jared Kushner, Democrat, received campaign cash from Trump's son-in-law. Um. So his article states, uh, New Jersey Democratic Senator Cory Booker, a potential 2020 White House contender and recipient of major campaign contributions from Jared Kushner and others in the Kushner family, declined to endorse his party's call for, a, for the White House to revoke the security clearance of the president's son-in-law. The DNC has called for Kushner's security clearance to be revoked after reports that he sought to set up back-channel communications with Russian officials. Uh, similarly, Rep. Uh, Adam Schiff, the senior Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, said that Kushner's security credentials should be removed. Uh, Booker refused to support these calls during an interview with CNN Sunday. Asked if, uh, asked if he supports revoking uh, Kushner's security clearance, the New Jersey senator said, I think we first need to get to the bottom of it. He needs to answer for what was happening at the time. It raises very serious concerns for me, and that could be a potential outcome that I seek. Uh, but I want to understand, at least from, to hear from Jared Kushner, as well as the administration, uh, about what exactly is going on out there. And then he presumably took a picture with Elmo or something for his fucking <laughs> Twitter. Um, Booker, 
<laughs> Booker also pushed back against those calling for Trump's impeachment, saying, quote, I'm not going to rush to impeachment. Uh, so Kushner, uh, Kushner and other donors affiliated with Kushner companies delivered more than $41,000 to Booker's Senate campaign in 2013 alone, according to data compiled by politicalmoneyline.com. Politico reported that Ivanka Trump hosted a fundraiser for Booker, for Booker during that election. So back in 2013, they were at, literally the Trumps were hosting fundraisers for Cory Booker. So if that yeah. gives you any indication of his uh, uh, flexibility when it comes to policy, yeah. Uh, so in 2009, Jared Kushner also gave $20,000 to Booker's Newark uh, mayoral ticket, uh, Booker team for Newark. <laughs> New Jersey campaign finance records show uh, that year Booker attended the wedding of Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Uh, Booker has in the past made headlines for taking stances at odds with others in his party. Uh, during the 2012 election, for instance, Booker defended the private equity industry <laughs> and slammed... He's such a fucking spineless corporate tool. Uh, and slammed uh, Barack Obama's campaign for attacking then-Republican nominee Mitt Romney's private equity firm, Bain Capital. So he was defending Bain Capital. Uh, more recently, Booker cast a pivotal vote against the uh, against Democratic legislation to allow Americans to buy lower-priced prescription drugs from Canada. Yeah, oh, so, but that was only because of the safety, right? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> those 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 disgusting uh, drugs that they make in Canada at the same factories <laughs> that they make them here, and the, and the you know, ridiculous, and the vats that they make them in up there. So yeah, I, the, you know, I, I bring this up because the establishment thinks that they have people fooled about Cory Booker. I don't think anybody's fooled about Cory Booker. He is. No. He is, you know, Barack Obama on steroids when it comes to serving corporate interests. He's not even like trying to keep it on the down low, right? Um, he's well, all he tries to do sleight of hand. You know, he's like, "Look over here, I'm cool doing this." You yeah, know, no, I don't even know what he does. Well, exactly. I'm talking it's, about this. It's his ability to say a bunch of words that really right. mean nothing, and then you know, the reporters, the anchors, they don't even hold him accountable. They just let it slide. Yeah. Yeah. The only people the anchors on TV fucking held accountable are people that uh, speak truth. Like, you know, I, I uh, Jimmy Dore recently was playing an old clip from CNN of Wolf Blitzer interviewing Ron Paul, or Rand, Rand Paul. And, uh, <laughs> Wolf Blitzer. You, yeah, you probably know what I'm talking and, No, I'm just thinking of how hard-hitting Wolf Blitzer is. Oh, I know. <laughs> the Ron Burgundy of CNN literally will read anything you put on the prompter. Don't um, knock the wolf. I love me some wolf. <laughs> All day. He's well, well, so he, so he's interviewing Rand Paul, right? And they're talking about how we sell uh, billions of dollars in arms to Saudi Arabia, who are the number one state sponsors of terrorism in the Middle East. Um, and Rand Paul was like, "This is for this is back when Obama was doing it, because you know Trump just yeah. did it, but Obama did you it." You got to give Rand Paul credit for calling it out both as, times. As did you know Bush, as did Clinton, as did Reagan, yada yada. We've been doing it for Stop. a million fucking years. So uh, this was back when Obama was doing it, and Rand Paul's like, "This look, guys, it's ridiculous. We're selling arms to people who fund terrorism, and like he didn't come to Congress with this. We didn't get a vote on this. We should at least be having a discussion about this." And Wolf Blitzer's only response to him was like, well, you, you know, Senator, uh, if we don't sell these arms to the Saudis, uh, that, that'll cost uh, a lot of American jobs. Are you okay with costing American jobs? Where the fuck? 
I, I, I would pay a thousand dollars to know whether or not that came to Wolf into Wolf Blitzer's, you know, brain, or if he had like, a, a, like, you know, the CEO of Lockheed Martin actually in an earpiece and just like, gonna, make sure you make sure you mention that. Uh, it's gonna cost a lot of American. What kind of an asshole says something like that when he's talking about us selling cluster bombs to Saudi Arabia? Killing... It's really about the jobs. Come on. <laughs> I mean, what? <sighs> These people. I can't. I can't. I really can't. So um, if I make like a big, huge sweatshop and get pay people horrible wages and then yeah. everybody's like, you got to shut down. I'll be like, think about all the jobs. That <laughs> well, you know, and they made the same, the same discussion was around coal and they talked about how coal employs fewer people than Arby's. And yet, you know, we're trying to save coal because it's all about the jobs. So, you know, it's this back and forth between it's about the jobs and it's not about the jobs. And why did they give a shit about the jobs? Well, you know, I saw I saw a great uh, uh, statistic, uh, like a chart. It was, a, you know, a graph. Um, it, it's something like 70 to one jobs created. It takes it takes 70 people working in solar to create the energy that one coal worker would would create so now a company would look at that and say oh my god we could employ so much fewer people uh, with coal but any american who's not a fucking billionaire should look at that and say oh my god look at how many jobs we could create if we moved into solar energy i mean we can create 70 jobs to produce the energy that that one guy produced you know not like they were about that yeah <laughs> not like these these fucking energy companies are hurting for money i mean they could afford to hire you know decent well, wage you know what i when I lived in Arizona, I was shocked at the power companies there actually wanted to charge people that were going off the grid, that were using solar. Oh, yeah. That's... They were, you know, making legislation to be able to charge people. It's like, what is the point of going with solar and being able to get off the grid if you're still beholden to the power companies? It's bullshit. No, it's and they're being allowed like to that. do it. Yeah, no, it, but that's what happened, like, in, in GOP-led legislatures around the country. They institute things like that. Totally, you know, just told to them by the by their donors in the oil and gas industry. There's no reason to do that unless you're being totally bought off by the coal industry or by the the oil and gas industry. I mean, it's it's insane. Um, but no, so we got a little sidetracked. But all that's to say, Cory Booker is no friend of progressives. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm shocked. I'm shocked yeah, that you just said that. I, don't I know, know. I know. Also, by the way, for people that don't know, and I'm sure you guys both know. Cory Booker, uh, super BFF with uh, Betsy DeVos because he's yeah. a huge fan of school privatization. He yep. is a champ. He's, yeah, no, he's spoken at her like annual dinner that she holds for her rich asshole, you know, vampire <laughs> friends. And um, it, yeah, he, he's a big proponent of uh, what he calls school choice, which just means funneling money from public schools into private schools. And it's the oldest trick in the book. It's like the way they privatize every industry in this country. You take enough money out of the public uh, sector and they say, oh, my God, look at how shitty public schools are. We need to put money into private schools because these public schools are terrible. Yeah, they're terrible because you took all the fucking money out of them. It's like, it, you know, it's the oldest trick in the book. It's like the it's it's gaslighting 101. So, he's yeah, yeah he's, he's super in favor of that because they give him ton of, a ton of money. Uh, so if you go to public school in New Jersey, you can thank Cory Booker for championing school choice, which means that your public schools just get shittier. So all your money, your taxpayer money can go into private schools, a lot of which teach, you know, 
religious bullshit. Not, you know, no offense to anybody, but. Well, that was Betsy's whole goal. I mean, there were articles yeah. written about that. She was, you know, her goal was to build God's kingdom and to be able to have all that religious stuff, you know, as part of the curriculum. So really, this isn't just about defunding our public schools. This is about giving tax breaks to the wealthy. This is about, you know, because they're the majority of people that, that pay for their children to go to private schools mm-hmm. um, and, and to be allowed to, you know, force this religious education upon people and, and have the government fund it. And, and to me, it's like separation of church and state. This is public money. Why should we be funding religious schools? Yeah. I, mean, I have you a problem. Know she doesn't care about morals either because her brother's a fucking merc. <laughs> you know, her brother literally kills people for hire. <laughs> yeah, he's like the he's the head of uh, of Blackwater, right? Or he's the right? uh, yes, yes. Oh, another fucking yes. lovely organization. I'm surprised Dapple he's didn't the hire them. Mark. No, he's I know like he is. He murders people for hire. That's what he does, and it's somehow official and okay for him to do it. Yeah, no, we hired him in why. Iraq. We hired his firm in yeah. Iraq. We used the. It's yeah. fucking unbelievable. Yeah, he's you, legally allowed to kill people. That's and, his, his thing. And you know why they do that? Because they wouldn't have enough people. Jesus? Well, but no, but why they hire private contractors in places like Iraq? Because one, A, it's privatization and all their fucking buddies get to line their pockets with government money. But B, what they do with organ, with, with groups like Blackwater is they don't have enough troops to actually sustain the surges that they want to, uh, you know, they implement over over there. So rather than... Uh, instituting a draft, which will actually make people wake up and be like, oh my god, we're still in Iraq? We're still in Afghanistan? People don't even fucking realize we're still in Iraq and Afghanistan. So rather than institute a draft and force people to go there, which which we saw with Vietnam would get people out protesting in the streets and end this shitty war, they hire mercenaries so people can just forget about it and act like it's not even happening. Meanwhile, we we killed, what, like... uh, 300 people last week with, with, with a bomb in, in Mosul. I yeah. mean, it's civilians, not the, not 300, yeah. you know, yeah. not 300 terrorists, 300 civilians. It's uh, always civilians, man. We've killed thousands of civilians, and it's just like never Every ending. year. Every it's year. Like, it's not even a, a one-time thing. It's every year we're killing it. We're doing it. And like people don't even realize we're still, we're, we're now bombing seven countries, you know. Thanks and then they part. wonder why we have suicide bombers and people that are, you know, becoming terrorists because all their relatives are being killed. How would you feel? But LaDonna, I thought it was because they hate us for our freedom. I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, yeah, our freedom is to murder the shit out of them, right? <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize that maybe it's because we're literally killing their friends and loved ones on a daily basis. But <laughs> while also funding the fucking billionaire princes and sultans that are, you know, keeping them in poverty. So they have no other place to turn to. It's insane. It really, truly is. There's no other way to describe it. Let's get off this topic. Yeah, I know. It's just depressing as hell. Yeah. Um, So on to something uh, a lot more inspiring and uplifting, uh, Hillary Clinton and the DNC. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Hillary Clinton won't go away. Um, she was speaking at a, uh, I, I guess, a tech conference uh, the other day, Recode, and she somehow still finds more people to blame for her loss <laughs> in the 2016 election. You know, she's already blamed uh, Comey, sexism, Bernie bros, Russia, uh, progressives, er, er, literally everyone that she could, feminist, millennials, 
<laughs> this blew my mind because I was reading this and I read, you know, in the beginning of it, she says, I take responsibility for every decision I made, yeah. but that's not why I lost. And then you well, continue, <laughs> you know, watching your reading. Well, I got to, I've, These I've are seen... all the groups that she blamed. She blamed the right wing conspiracy, Russians and Putin. Weaponized technology, Citizens United, voter suppression, Cambridge Analytica, bots, fake news, Citizens United. Democratic Party was bankrupt, the Mercers, Bannon, Breitbart, Facebook, Comey, Podesta emails, Google, Trump, the RNC, Guccifer, WikiLeaks, the media, Netflix, misogyny, double standards, and all members of the Democratic Party who don't contribute. I mean, what? Mike Tyson, <laughs> Mark Twain, the New York Yankees. What, who else can we throw in there? Yeah, right. What's okay? So, well, here's the one thing she had. Okay, the one double standard she had was Trump could be an entitled, pompous asshole and he could get away with it because he was a white male, but she couldn't be that entitled and get away with it. So, yeah, so I so I want to read out a story from the Washington Post. Uh, who even they, you know, establishment lapdogs that they are, couldn't (laughs) couldn't couldn't stand by this one. Um, (laughs) by the way, I before I even get to the story, I find it hilarious that you blame citizens united as if she is not the most corrupt money fundraiser of all money corrupt corrupt money fundraisers i um, couldn't even believe that she could utter the words that they actually came out of her mouth <laughs> okay well, so she doesn't believe, blame them for what they did with campaign finance reform she blames them because they didn't help her this time <laughs> exactly you guys didn't go far enough to loosen the campaign finance um so uh and so this is actually, you know, this contains some of the quotes from it, but this is interesting because it was from a, uh, it, it contains a response from an ex-DNC aide. So the Washington Post headline is, ex-DNC aide hits back hard at Clinton, says her campaign ignored data on Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Um, <clears throat> Hillary Clinton has found plenty of non-Hillary Clinton things to blame for a 2016 loss, including Russia, James Comey, debate moderators, and misogyny. <laughs> Uh, but her decision Wednesday to add to the uh, to add the Democratic National Committee to that list is predictably prove, uh, proving pretty sensitive inside her own party. Um, a top former DNC aide tweeted overnight that Clinton's allegations were quote fucking bullshit, and even <laughs> suggested that Clinton uh, the Clinton campaign ignored its warnings about how competitive Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin were. Those three states proved decisive for President Trump, and especially in the case of Michigan and Wisconsin, were neglected by the Clinton campaign. In a Wednesday appearance at Recode's Code Conference in California, Clinton pointed to the DNC's data deficit when she became the Democratic nominee. Quote, uh, I set up my campaign and we have our own data operation. I get the nomination, so now I'm the nominee of the Democratic Party. Uh, I inherit nothing from the Democratic Party, Clinton said, <laughs> according to a transcript. They were bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, it was bankrupt. It was on the verge of insolvency. Its data was mediocre to poor, non-existent, wrong. I had to inject money into it, uh, the DNC, to keep it going. So Andrew Thoreau, Andrew Thoreau uh, who served as the DNC's director director of data science and now works for the city of Boston took exception to Clinton's criticisms and tweets that have since been deleted. So, uh, luckily, uh, the internet is forever and people (laughs) screenshotted these. So this is the ex DNC data chief. Um, 
Let's see. <laughs> he first quoted a tweet from somebody who, who said, uh, her plane almost never takes off without Kriegel's data charting its path in the first place. And he responded, yeah, somehow it never made its way up to the upper Midwest. Um, <laughs> uh, private mode be damned, this is too important. I'm not willing to let my people be thrown under a bus without a fight. DNC data folks, today's accusations are fucking bullshit, and I hope you understand the good you did despite that nonsense. I would argue with that, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, all of that said, the irony of her bashing DNC data, our models never had Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania looking even close to safe. Her team thought they knew better. Uh, also, that's pretty precious when she couldn't have raised all that without the DNC's higher limits as a laundering vehicle. <laughs> so, Dude, that was so good. So, this, and this guy is not a progressive, you know, like, truth teller. He's, he's a DNC data specialist. There's no way he got that position without being a fairly, you know, pro-establishment guy. And he's saying, look, you cannot... So, there, there's a little bit more about his background. Uh, it's important to note here that Thoreau left the DNC midway through 2016, so he's not necessarily privy to late DNC data in those states, but he seems to be saying that the DNC saw early in the general election what the Clinton campaign failed to really ever see. Clinton never made a concerted effort in uh, Michigan or Wisconsin, and those two states and Pennsylvania provided the difference after they went by less than a point for Trump. Uh, yeah. Clinton, Clinton's rehashing of the 2016 election results and the reasons she lost uh, that were outside of her control have become a regular feature of her public appearances and apparently will account for a significant portion of her forthcoming book. But there is also an emerging divide inside the part of Democratic Party about whether her continued presence on the national political stage is helping the party move forward. Uh, no, it's, it's fucking not helping the party. <laughs> I can answer that for you, Washington Post. I, you know... This, this is unbelievable to me because yeah, she's literally blamed everybody else. I mean, she, you know. Right. Well, it's funny because in the commentary, she actually says, you know, I was very proud of my data and analytics team. And then she immediately throws them under the bus. <laughs> well, no, she, about, she had know, her own data essentially and analytics how they were outgamed. Team. And it's like, which is it? I mean, you could do you could do an updated version of uh, we didn't start the fire with just the people that Hillary Clinton has blamed. <laughs> For losing the 2016 election, you know that might not be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on that. Um, but unbelievable, the, the fucking so, like, temerity. They corrupt enough for her. Is what the, she's the saying. The temerity to say that it's the DNC's fault who fucking rigged the primary in her favor. I know that she even got the nomination. For her to blame them is unbelievable. I, I think this might be the straw that breaks the establishment's back. Hopefully, in terms of being like, wow, she is. I mean, she sounds like Trump when she's talking about stuff like this. She sounds yeah. like this, yeah. a delusional loser when she in says there things that, like that. that somehow technology was weaponized for the first time. It's like <laughs> technology has been used as long as there's been technology in campaigns. And before that, it was called something else. But right. essentially, you're always using information against your opponents. And what she was really upset about was just that they did it better, that Cambridge Analytica took the Facebook data and, you know, merged that with some other stuff. And they just did it better than her. Well, the, well, the other funny thing that she mentioned um, was that she was like, well, we, we now know that over that uh, Russia had over a thousand Twitter trolls, um, you know, in, in, you know, working against me. What she's saying we now know is proven to be bullshit. Like uh, Democratic Representative Mark Warner claimed this 
but he never actually produced evidence of this. Like he claimed he had evidence of thousands of Twitter trolls. The only evidence we actually have of Twitter trolls are David Brock's fucking Democratic yeah. Twitter trolls that he admitted to using with Correct the Record against Bernie Our... in the primaries to try to smear Bernie and create the whole Bernie Bros narrative. That's the only Twitter trolls to we know. Correct the Record, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. But, th- but this is actually a classic Republican trip trick. It's projecting. It's when you mm-hmm. feel bad yeah. about something or you're guilty about something, you act like everybody else is doing it, you know? It's the same shit all, like, those, like, super Christy, uh, like, Republican huh. representatives d- do when it comes to, like, gay and lesbian people. They're like, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. And then they get caught, like, you know, banging some dude <laughs> in the bathroom at a truck stop. And it's like, oh, well, that, yeah, yeah that explains it. This is, this is, this is that you know on a, on a macro scale it's like she blames literally everybody else except she also said i don't even think it was in that article but she also yeah like she said what you said at the beginning was i take full responsibility for everything i did wrong in the election but that's not why i lost what does that mean <laughs> i take responsibility but it wasn't my fault <laughs> but like honestly between between all that nonsense and like the making up the the thousands of russian twitter trolls thing she sounds like Trump. She sounds like a delusional yeah. maniac who who can't take the fact that she's a loser and lost the election. And the reason and, and the reason I even want to talk about this, it's not because I enjoy bashing Hillary Clinton, although I <laughs> if I'm being honest, I do, <laughs> but it's because she won't go away and she's literally dragging the party down like a fucking anchor. We're trying to move forward and and win and beat these maniacs, and she's literally holding the party back and fighting actual progressive uprising in the party so we're gonna keep talking about her until she goes the fuck away because she's not helping she's actively hurting the party i see this on social media though all the time and and people are constantly arguing and saying you know bernie won't go away either and you know this is misogynistic who's telling him to go away and you know it's all because she's a woman it's like you know what i'm actually fine if we want both of them to go away and we want to look ahead to you know progressives like you know joe kennedy or some others i'm fine with that um, if we could get Hillary to shut up, I'd be willing to, to let go of some others along the way. But yeah, the but thing what's with the Bernie... difference between what they're talking about? Bernie's right. out there questioning these assholes who are trying to like pull the wool uh, the wool over you know these Trump supporters' eyes with these bills, you know these healthcare bills and, and their budget and and like the thing with look, Bernie is like he's he's definitely an older voice, but. Unfortunately, we have so few voices of of actual progressivism in the Democratic Party. I mean, even Elizabeth Warren, you know, we mentioned a little bit before we went on the air about how she had that interview on TYT the other day. And it was just so disappointing. And she was talking to a really progressive outlet like she could play to her crowd a little bit. And she the, 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 the big thing she was passionate about was making a spirited defense of Joe Manchin. I mean, it, it's yeah. unbelievable. Like, I, I someone just, didn't tell her who she was talking to. Apparently, no, she knew. She like she knew who the Young Turks are. It's just like it. I don't know. I, so or maybe I, who the Young Turks were. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's just. Uh, I don't know. There's so unfortunately, I think Bernie would would love nothing more to go and retire and play with his grandkids. But he's like, there, there's nobody here doing anything. Like, you know, people are just yeah. letting the the the, the corporate. Uh, interests totally take over the Democratic Party. If I'm not going to fight, nobody else is going to do it. Well, and it drives me crazy because the DNC is creating this narrative now by not backing Quist and um, the guy in Kansas whose name is escaping me right now, by not backing Bernie Kratz, essentially, 
and letting them lose, then they're showing everyone, look, Bernie Katz can't win. They so purpose, what, what's yeah. the point in backing them? And that's what I hear online is people saying, well, it's been proven that they're not going to win. It's like, it was proven that Hillary Clinton was unelectable before the election. <laughs> Everybody knew it. So but also, LaDonna, so. you could say that it's been proven that Hillary Clinton can't win because she lost the primary against Barack Obama. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, but no, but so, even beyond that, her favorability rating was in the fucking toilet, and everyone knew they, everyone knew she was hated by by at least half the country, if not yeah. more. And they were just so arrogant that they thought, "Look, it's her turn. She's not, she's been in the party lo- for longest." I, I mean, she said that herself. She said that it was you know the broad assumption that I was going to win. She said I was the victim of a very broad assumption that I was going to win. You are a victim. Of <laughs> she that? was a victim of that now too. It's it's unbelievable. Oh my god, the entitlement well, of mean, these maniacs. I see one one thing is she was surrounded by nothing but people who told her she was going to win. Like the media, that was all in her back pocket. Of course. <laughs> And she still couldn't DNC, win with the media, the DNC. The problem was is that everybody was in her inner, inner, you know, circle. Or what do you want to call it? You know, she's yeah, no, only they're all in the bubble. Those people. So, unfortunately, a lot of people in DC live in that bubble, and they yeah. think like you know they they don't even understand that we don't think Cory Booker is progressive. They don't understand any of that sort of stuff. They don't. Because they don't interact with real people. They haven't interacted with real people in years. They don't think that progressive is the way forward. Because the way that that they see it is that you need to move right if you want to gain back some of the Republicans that voted for Trump. So they see the center as the way forward. Things like third way. It's amazing how much they're going to let the country... It's going to get to the point where we're like, well, yeah, you know, the Republicans are literally killing Muslims in uh, concentration camps. But the Democrats are, uh, you know... (laughs) <laughs> They're opposed to that, so uh, I guess I guess we're as far left as we need to be. It's like how far, how much farther are we going to let them move the Overton window to the right before we fucking put our foot down and say, "Look, we're not going to let you move this window anymore. We're going to pull back in the other direction." They just They're refuse to do to it. To keep losing as long as they continue to get their corporate money to Democrats. That's well, they keep what all I their jobs. They, that, that yeah, I mean, I you know, a lot of people talk about that. That losing to Donald Trump is not that disagreeable for them because they all get to keep their jobs. If Bernie Sanders wins, he's going to bring in people who actually want to institute change and the fucking near attendants of the world and all these other clowns are going to not have jobs because they're just corporate chills. I mean, they literally, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just, we, people don't understand, especially people who don't follow politics as close as we do the the amount of fighting that we're doing with corporate interests it's not that it's bernie versus hillary it's actual it's workers and the 99 percent versus the one percent within our own party it, we're, we're literally fighting massive corporations and all the people that they bought off who are trying to fuck you know and who all control the media who are trying to act like we're being the we're the crazy ones and we're the purists and all this shit when we're just like guys we just want you to like support workers and not be super corrupt five million dollars a year you know yeah no, but it's also people on the left who have bought into the narrative that the only way you win is by you know is with money is with corporate money and so they're the realists quote unquote you know we're the ones that are pie in the sky thinking that we can do this without money and they know that money is the be all end all the only way to win elections well, so, think, you know, I mean, I think a lot of those people, unfortunately, have been a little bit brainwashed because the media is completely it's media is owned by six corporations 
who all serve that interest. So if you have everyone on the news media saying that to you and you don't hear anyone saying anything else, you're just going to be like, oh, well, I guess I guess that's not realistic to say that we should get you know, money out of politics and we shouldn't let people bribe politicians. So oh, that I, was I, another funny one. That reminds me in Hillary's stuff. She actually blamed blaming the media and talking about how <laughs> conservatives now own, you know, Sinclair now owns a few radio stations in rural areas and, you know, there's Breitbart. And so therefore they were completely against her. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, you know, the media is liberal. The media. <laughs> because there's one or two conservative outlets. That was the reason why she lost. The media. I mean, I don't. And I would say the media is neoliberal. I mean, seriously. Well, the media is establishment. That's, I mean, the media, yeah, no matter which yeah. way, it, it has a pretty narrow window of establishment beliefs on the the right establishment and the left establishment. Because so, look at MSNBC right now. Oh, God. <laughs> MSNBC is in the fucking toilet right now. I mean, yeah, they're you know, number one. They're number one, but they're getting rid of all their progressives. Not that they really have that many to begin with, but I mean. I heard Lawrence is staying. I don't know. Well, I, th- I thought he was. I thought they were getting rid of him. They said they weren't renewing his contract. Did they? Did they? Did, did that change? Or I don't know. I saw something. I don't know. I saw something on Twitter that it looked like they maybe negotiated something, but we'll have to see. But yeah, going to keep one. The only the only two progressive, or you know, the only two liberals they have there anymore are Rachel Maddow and Lawrence O'Donnell, and it's like. <laughs> That's our representation? Like, it's amazing to me that... that... You're forgetting about Chrissy Hayes. Oh, God. Chris Hayes can't decide what the hell he is. Look, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Chairs. Hyde. They're all buying talent off of each other. You know, you've got, you know, um, Greta, you know, moving networks. I mean, they're, they're all just switching chairs. Well, but MSNBC is making a concerted effort to move right because idiots that they are, they buy into that narrative of, oh, well, we got to win back the moderates. Like they and think- yet the thing that has put them at number one right now is really Maddow, you know, going over the Russia conspiracy yeah. stuff. That, that's really what's... <laughs> I would say the thing that puts them at number one right now is an appetite for Russian hysteria. But yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. She, all she talks about is Russia. But So if you're into that and you want to hear about that, people are going to watch your show. But, I mean, the network, is it's just unbelievable. They're, they all just take the totally wrong message from every single political movement. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> that's all the topics we had for today, but I, I, I think the theme, overarching theme is that we just need to make sure we keep reminding people of why we're fighting for these things, because it's not that we're purists and it's not that we're, you know, not realistic. Everything we, that we're looking for is super realistic because every other fucking country in the world does it. We're the only country that lets, allows corporations to buy off politicians and, control you know every aspect of the media um and we're running out of time and we're running out yeah. of time we absolutely are and you know the oh and another thing i really want to mention i know we have a quite a few uk listeners uh believe it or not i checked our soundcloud stats uh guys make sure june 8th you go out and vote because uh, jeremy corbyn is soaring in the polls right now I, th- I saw a poll today that had him at like three or four points behind her and he's actually ahead uh, in polling in London. So he came back from like a huge deficit, like 16 points. Um, so I, you know, guys don't, if you're in the UK, June 8th, go out and vote because we've seen a lot of horrible right wing populists win and right wing populist, uh, referendums, things like Brexit. It'd be super nice to see a fucking left wing populist win for once against an establishment conservative. Um, so 
you know, definitely go out and vote if you're in the UK June 8th. Uh, yeah. And next week, uh, be sure to tune in because we are going to be talking to Stephen Jaffe. And I'm sure 15,000 other things will have happened in the meantime. So we'll uh, be talking about those. Uh, Adrian, LaDonna, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Good night. And we will see you guys next week on the Our Voice podcast. <laughs>